Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops and Detroit Bad Boys, a former D1 Hooper, current high school coach, teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids. And I'm Omari Sanko for the second, Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. Extremely excited about the Michigan Wolverines' big win over Ohio State this weekend, right Omari? Oh uh, yeah, you know me, you know, big, uh, big Michigan guy, so... Uh, no, I actually, like, I, I had so much going on Saturday, I didn't even catch it, but I was just accepted that it's a foregone conclusion that this is Michigan's year. It is what it is. I, I, I had a feeling that, that they would win. And, uh, like, what's annoying for me uh, is that, one, like, I follow so many, so many Michigan people that the whole timeline just gets clogged up with Michigan stuff every time they, they, they do anything, so you kind of just have to log off. And then the other thing is that their previous starting point guard's name is Cade. So, like, I see Cade trending, like, Saturday. Quarterback, and then, like, previous today. quarterback. And it's like Cade. Yeah, it's like their quarterback, Cade. It's not Cade Cunningham. So, like, every time I see Cade trending, I'm like, oh, crap. Like, what the heck happened? And it's like, it's, I don't think Cade Cunningham has trended. Like, it's always the, the other Cade. So, it was just a lot of annoyance this past weekend. But, uh, you know, Tuck coming next season, maybe. We'll see. I don't know. Uh, this season kind of. Uh, I think haunted the parade a little bit, so so we'll just see. Um, at the same time, I will say that Kenneth Walker, uh, greatest Michigan State quarterback of all time, has been tearing up the NFL, so that's sort of been the reprieve in all of this. The same stuff with the Cade for me. I was like, why is Cade? Why are they talking about this? What is going on? And then it just ended up being that quarterback that's now transferring. Um, we also had Thanksgiving since the last time we recorded Omari uh, you and I got to have dinner Tuesday night in Denver. So I would be interested to know what did you have for dinner Thursday with your family, hopefully with your with your family? Yeah, no, I saw the family. I uh, went over to my, my, my parents' house. and uh, my, my brother's all the way up in the UP um, at, at, at Michigan Tech. So uh, it was just my, my sister who was home. But, uh, you know, it, it was cool. We had, uh, for the second straight year, we did Cornish hen instead of turkey because wait, I think wait, we all what? agreed... Cornish hen. It's like it's it's chicken. It's a, a type of chicken. Okay. Because uh, I think just making a gigantic turkey for four people and then having to eat turkey for the next month uh, just isn't as appealing. So we did that, but just pretty classic Thanksgiving, I would say. Uh, greens. We had we had dressing uh, or stuffing, as some people call it. Uh, one thing about Twitter, like wait, you I, call I stuffing people, dressing? Yeah, yeah. I think that's like. But the, I get in trouble for calling supper supper. Dressing is what you yes. put on a salad. Yes, but well, you do get in trouble for calling dinner supper because I thought I thought supper was like one of those words that kind of died out in the like the nineteen fifties. So, <laughs> like, so every time you say it, like, I feel like I'm I'm like watching one of those old school movies or something that are in like black and white, like supper. Like I didn't know. Uh, no, I think it's just like a regional thing. Uh, you know, like my fam- my family's from the south, so I think you know the southern definition is, or the southern saying for it is is dressing. I think dressing and stuffing are the same thing. I'm pretty sure they're the same thing. I don't know for a fact, um, 
But that's why I say both, because I realize that sometimes you say things and then, you know, people are like, well, what's that? So I just have to kind of frigid a little bit and assume that not everybody knows what dressing is. So we had dressing uh, back and cheese, which I realized your Twitter is not a traditional Thanksgiving side. Uh, but we did have that. Uh, we had rose and I said greens. We had yams, but I'm not a big yams person. Uh, but beyond that, yeah, it was all pretty good. You know, I was good to eat with the fam and watch some Lions. A good, good Lions game last Thursday. So a lot to be a lot to be thankful for, for sure. No doubt. Yeah, I, I think we should normalize mac and cheese as a Thanksgiving Day side. I'm all okay. about that. And okay. we also agreed that turkey is not high on our priority list. Like there was a list of nine things on Twitter and I was like, turkey, cut it out. I would be completely fine with that. And I was waiting for you to come in and just tear it apart. And you actually agreed. I was so surprised. Yeah, turkey's good, but like I wish we could just do like a small turkey. Like I feel like all the turkeys are at least ten pounds, and you're basically just like you are required to have leftover turkey for several days when you bake one. And I think we just we're finally like let's break that tradition and do something a little different. If you have a lot of people coming over, then yeah, you could probably do a, a, a big turkey. But we haven't had like a big Thanksgiving in a few years, so. Uh, that kind of died out, but I gotta hear. Like, I think, I think not only me, but all the all the people are clamoring to know uh, what the Bryce Simon uh, Thanksgiving experience was like. So, so there was turkey, there was ham, all that stuff, but uh, green bean casserole, mac okay. and cheese, mashed potatoes. Right. So I kind of like crushed the sides, honestly, around Thanksgiving, and then I wait until dessert with some chocolate chip cookies. And my wife makes like a pumpkin something or other. She's going to be mad at me that I don't know what it's called, but it's really, really good. It's really good. Um, so I, I kind of hit all of those uh, for Thanksgiving. That's kind of where I go. And we spent it with my family, my parents, my middle sister. She has some kids, so they played with, uh, with our kids. So it was a good Thanksgiving. Watched some football, some college basketball, did that thing. Cool. That sounds great. So we do have to talk basketball soon. We do. But I am curious. Have you always had mac and cheese on Thanksgiving or is that a recent addition? Because I always assumed it was just a regular Thanksgiving thing. And then a few years ago on Twitter, like I saw a lot of people who were like, I've never had mac and cheese on Thanksgiving. I didn't know that that was a Thanksgiving site. Like, that's not traditional. And I'll be honest. Like, well, I think every Thanksgiving I'm a part of has little kids. So you have to make mac and cheese. And, and okay. I, as a 35-year-old father of three, I love mac and cheese. We're actually having mac and cheese for supper tonight. Mac and cheese with some hot dogs or something like that. And I am juiced to go home and eat after this recording. I, I will eat mac and cheese for days. Okay, I agree. I agree. There's a lot of... We're on the same page as far as food today. This is the most food synergy we've ever had. Like, I almost want to like pick at it and find something we disagree on, but that would take 20 minutes and we don't have that type of time. So maybe we'll save it for later. We ordered the same thing at the restaurant in Denver too, Amari. We both thought it yeah, was good. Did. Like we, we enjoyed a nice meal. James joined us. That was a good time in Denver. Maybe at the end of the episode, we can get back into that a little bit, but we do have to talk Pistons basketball. If, I do want to say, I hope everybody else had a good Thanksgiving break, spent time with friends and family and all of that. But Let's talk about this Detroit Pistons road trip, Omari, because first they surprised us with that win in Denver. Then they backed it up with a win in Utah, a competitive loss against the Phoenix Suns. Well, what are your takeaways from this six-game road trip from our Detroit Pistons? I think basketball is weird sometimes, and you can kind of you know try to explain things, but sometimes things are just kind of beyond explanation. I don't know how to explain how they beat Utah and Denver. Uh, with the, the roster that they had kind of beat up. But I thought Dwayne Casey actually kind of summed it up uh, when we talked to him uh, oh, like over the weekend just about the trip as a whole. And he said that like sometimes you just hit shots. And I think that was a big part of it. 
But I think a little bit more broadly, we've kind of seen like what happens when you actually have death and you actually have, you know, veterans who could come in and just get a bucket. I think kind of what they were struggling with early on was like you're missing Marvin Bagley, uh, who's been really good as a scorer, as we knew he would be. But still to him to come in and just um, become a go to option, I think, has been really big for this team. But also Alec Burks just being one of the best bench scorers in the league. Uh, like I actually looked it up earlier today. I think he's third in like bench scoring. He's averaging number 17 a game. Uh, and just the way he gets to the line too. Like he's tied for first in free throw attempts per game and is narrowly ahead of, I think actually Ben Math, uh, him and, and Ben Math are like two of the, the top bench scorers. But uh, Burks is also top in like bench free throws per game with like 5.1 per game. And that's makes, not attempts. I think he's averaging like six attempts. But um, despite losing Kate, despite losing Sadiq for uh, four games, I think despite losing Isaiah Stewart, I think when you have young players who can be mistake prone in some ways, you just replace that with raw production. And also, and Bill Simmons got a test on this. I think he called it the, the Ewing effect when the Knicks, you know, back in the 90s, Ewing was out for a while and then the Knicks actually started winning more games without him. Uh, sometimes when you have a, a ball dominant player, um, you know, who's maybe having some, be like, any type of issue, like Cade was kind of up and down as far as efficiency. And now players have to move the ball, look for each other. Mm-hmm. That could actually be a net positive. And I think we kind of saw that where, you know, the Pistons are moving the ball, like the ball's not sticking, like guys are moving around, cutting. Uh, just a lot of positive, I think, energy on the offense. And uh, that led to them. Like I would say last week was probably the best stretch of basketball I've seen them play since I started covering the team. I started covering them, you know, April 2020. So that's, this is year three for me. I had not seen a, like even though the Sacramento game was a loss and the Phoenix game was a loss and the Cleveland game was a loss, I think just as far as sustained good play, like I've not seen this team do what they're doing right now, uh, which obviously is a positive. Yeah, I mean, Omari, on the road trip, they lost by five to the Clippers, seven to the Lakers, eight to the Kings, beat the Nuggets and the Jazz. They go to Phoenix the day after Thanksgiving without four of the day one starters and only lose by six. And then obviously a competitive game on Sunday back at LCA now, but against the Cleveland Cavaliers with a bunch of those guys still out. Sadiq Bey did return and and we'll do the injury rundown a little bit later, Omari. But it is, it's so impressive. I'll tell you what's been impressive to me. I feel like they've done a great job of well the storm. So like a team will come back and then they'll go on a 5-0 run. And every time they take a punch, they give a punch back. A good friend that I've met through all this, his name is Bob Schmidt. He's the voice of Fox Sports Radio. He has a Cavs podcast. And he texts me during the game on Sunday. He goes, every time we, talking about the Cavs, tie it up, the Pistons go on a 5-0 run. Their ability to respond and withstand the runs from other teams over these last, what, seven or eight games has been really, really impressive. And I think it probably speaks to the experience that's on the floor. Yeah, I mean, experience matters. And, you know, I think a lot of the stuff that, you know, Dwayne says as far as, you know, we want vast experience, this and that. Like sometimes fans hear it. They're just like, yeah, but we're, you know, rebuilding. So why do we need this stuff? But you kind of see it, I think, over the last week, just to have players who know their role, know what they need to do. Uh, for Alec Burks to miss the time he missed, and like he swears he's not, you know, still not fully healthy, still getting his, his win back, but he's been phenomenal. I mean, you know, he's been like their, their, their go-to player just as a, a, a closer just because he could shoot, can handle the ball a little bit. Like we've seen him play backup point guard in spurts with all the injuries they've had to their backcourt and ability to get to the line. I think he's just engineering a lot. Uh, even Kevin Knox stepping up, like he, like I think he's like been on like an, an insane heater, shooting like 55% from three. Over his last five games, however many games it's been since Sacramento, like he's been on fire. Yeah, so you have multiple players playing really good basketball right now. And 
you know, despite this, this schedule on paper looking really hard, right? Like you're on the road, you know, you're playing, you know, playoff teams almost all the way through. Uh, Cleveland, you know, that's a really good team. And they led for like 34 minutes out of the first 36 minutes of the game, the first three quarters. And then it took some, just some clutch plays really by Donovan Mitchell down the stretch. And then they missed 12 free throws. And that's kind of what did them in. But, uh, you know, good wins that you can build on and also good losses that you can build on. And this is a completely different team than the team I think we saw over the first three weeks, just not because, just because of the injuries, but because they're playing competitive basketball. Like they look like they could win every single night. What I found interesting is I went through the stats. I did the six-game stretch, Omari, of the road trip and compared it against the season as a whole. So just some quick stats here. They scored four more points per game and gave up 1.2 less. They shot a better percentage from the field and from three. But here's the interesting one. They actually had less turnovers on that six-game road stretch than they did the whole season, which is interesting to me because you don't have Cade Cunningham. And I know Cade Cunningham is a little bit turnover prone, maybe not a little, maybe a lot turnover prone, but you're still having Killian Hayes handle the ball quite a bit. Jay Nivey's been handling the ball. I know he's out now, but you know, you go on the road for that stretch and you actually turn the ball over less. And then on the other side, even though the opponent shot a better percentage, Amari, team shot those six games, they shot a better percentage, but they got less a shot attempts because because the Pistons gave up less offensive rebounds and forced more turnovers. I just think that's really interesting, turning it over less, forcing more turnovers, giving up less offensive rebounds while on the road. And that's not, I don't think it's a knock on Cade, but I think when you have a guy who is the guy and everybody knows that on some level they're deferring to him, it could cause the offense to stagnate and, you know, you're just, you're, you're out of sync. You know, you're not throwing the, the best passes. Maybe guys aren't, you know, moving off ball enough and things could stagnate. Then you take Cade out of the picture and you still have a lot of viable bar handlers. Killian Hayes, who we'll talk about, you know, is playing the best basketball of his career, I think by a pretty significant margin. Uh, you know, Alec Burks is, a, I think, a really good passer for, you know, somebody who's essentially, a you know, sort of a small forward shooting guard hybrid uh, or a wing, I guess. Like, just a simpler way to say it, obviously. Um you know, Jaden Ivey, we've talked about his passing has been better. Corey Joseph, obviously, you know, uh, you know, good at moving the ball. So you have a lot of players who play unselfish basketball. That's not to say Kate does play selfish basketball, but I think the rest of the was- of the roster, there's a shift in mindset where, okay, like we have to make this as easy as possible for everybody or else we're not going to win. So I think Kate being out of the picture kind of cha- caused that shift. And I'd be curious to see, you know, like I don't know if he comes back this season, but, you know, when he does come back, if they can – uh, kind of find a way to integrate him back in and, uh, you know, keep the momentum they have going right now as well. So that's what I was going to ask. Does does this team need to adjust when Cade does come back, whether that's this season or next season? Does does Cade need to adjust? Where's the adjustment then where we've seen this good ball movement, less turnovers, everybody getting involved? Because I do think Cade is most comfortable with the ball in his hands. And we've seen Jaden Ivey with the ball in his hands a lot as well. Do those guys need to get a little bit more comfortable not they're not completely heliocentric. We're not talking Luka Doncic level, but do those guys need to be a little bit more comfortable playing quote unquote this brand of offensive basketball? Yeah, I mean I wouldn't say this team was like 2018 Houston with James Harden or anything, <laughs> but I would say that maybe K could come in and not feel that same pressure he felt early on where um, like down the stretch last season, we saw a lot of games where it was just K create something because we don't have anything else. And now you have Boyan, now you have Burks, uh, you have Bagley. Uh, you have Sadiq, you have all these guys who can kind of get their own bucket and step up and you need them too. Even Killian has hit some clutch shots. And now Kane can come in and I think he leans a little bit more past first anyway. And it's interesting because during preseason and early in the season, there was sort of this narrative that he was passive. And That's he wasn't true, really, yeah. You know, taking 
the shots that we saw him take last season, then he kind of steps up and it's like, okay, it's back to normal. You know, they have some competitive games. You know, this is what it needs to be. And now he's out of the picture again. And the team just hits a new level as far as playing unselfish basketball. You know, I think there's just a filling out process. You know, I think anytime you have a guy, you know, like Cade, who, you know, he's your number one, but that doesn't mean things are always going to be seamless as far as, you know, the rest of the roster just kind of, you know, filling into their roles. And I think maybe Cade having the chance to sit back. Uh, guys are playing to their strengths. They don't have to worry about accounting for one another. He can come, man. He sees, you know, how everybody likes to play. And I think the good thing about Cade is that he doesn't need the ball. Like, he can shoot, he can defend, he can apply his energy elsewhere. If he has to be that clutch guy in the fourth quarter, he can still do that. But it's a situation where he probably doesn't feel the need to do it, and maybe he can just come in and the synergy's already there. Now he's just another go-to scorer, another plus passer, another plus defender. And, you know, and maybe that's his preference, right? Like we saw early on that he was kind of allowing other players to do their thing, and he was kind of taking a step back. Maybe he could do that now, and it won't be an issue. Uh, you know, like maybe he doesn't need to be a 25 points per game score. Maybe he could be 19, 20, 7, 8 assists, 6 rebounds, and that's probably the best thing for this team. That's always been my vision of Cade Cunningham, going back to when I watched him in college, even before he was drafted by the Pistons. I thought that's who he was. He was this all-around player who would give you 20 to 25 a night, but 8 to 10 rebounds, 8 to 10 assists, play good defense, just this all-around malleable player that does a little bit of everything. I have to ask you these two questions. I hope Wes doesn't get mad at me because I we didn't get it on the outline. We may have been saving it, but we've talked a lot about Alec Burks, Amari. Do you think Alec Burks is the most tradable, realistic tradable asset on the Detroit Pistons roster? Um, yes and no. I think if you are, if you're just looking at a veteran to flip, you know, to get an asset back because you're like, you know, we need to wind down. We're not, you know, gunning for the playoffs because we're already out of the race by, you know, the trade deadline. Then, yeah, he makes sense. He's making like half the money that Boyan's making. And, you know, he's been on the heater. Um, you know, obviously great locker room guy. Everybody knows who he is. So, you know, just from an asset standpoint, I think he'll be easily moved. Uh, the question for me is, you know, he has a team option worth around $10 million next summer. And if you're the Pistons, you probably look at that money and you're saying, like, what is a better use of it than just bringing Alec Burks back? Like, who are we going to get next summer who is going to return more value than what we're getting for him right now? And it, it, just the way I look at it, I just, I just question if that's something that they can do. You know, especially with Troy Weaver saying that the team wants to compete every night and they're doing that now, despite the injuries, somehow they've, you know, they've, they've, they've gotten better. You know, this last stretch of basketball over the last week and a half has been their best stretch of the season by a pretty wide margin. So, uh, yes, I think in theory, uh, he's very tradable. I think sort of in reality, you know, the Pistons probably wonder what's better than just bringing him back next year, you know, when it's working so well. And that kind of leads me to believe that, if they do move him, it would have to be a really, really good trade. It wouldn't just be for like a second-round pick because $10 million for what he's given you is honestly a, a steal. And you have him under contract next year if you want him, so why not just bring him back? My answer is almost the same, Amari. I think he is the most tradable just because of the money, his willingness to come off the bench. He fits seamlessly into a role. Like I would be interested. I don't necessarily want the Pistons to trade Boyan, but I'd be interested to see how other teams view Boyan because I don't know that he's as high usage for other teams as what he obviously is for the Pistons where I think Burks can go and fill the exact same role as like a six man bucket getter off the bench but I don't want to see him go either I got a chance to be around him a little bit whenever I was there in Denver just seems like a great dude quiet humble and just goes about his business and he's been playing 
phenomenal so far for Detroit. So I think he is the most tradable asset, but I'm with you. I don't want to see them. I would like to see him pick up that option and bring him back next year, especially if they're really wanting to compete. Before we go to the break, let's just go ahead and do the injury updates, and then we'll come back with Killian after we take a short break. Boyan still hasn't returned yet at time of recording. What's your vibe with when we may see Boyan Bogdanovich back? Oh, you know, I think they'll bring him. They're, they're not going to rush him back. They'll bring him back when sort of that sort of uh, subsides. It's funny. So when I first tweeted out, I think it was Saturday night that he was questionable with the knee and ankle soreness. And, you know, just the way he fell, he kind of tweaked both and he was in obvious pain. I think people were worried he was a more serious injury. And, uh, you know, my guy, Tony Jones from The Athletic, he's, he's covered the, the Utah Jazz forever. Um, he tweeted at me, Boyan will, will be be back. Like, he was tough, tough as nails, yada, yada. Like, he was just very, very confident if I see an injury that Boyan would not miss time. But if he did, it wouldn't be very long. So I guess in Utah, he had a, a reputation for, you know, playing through pain and, you know, having injury scares and just kind of shaking it off. Uh, you know, the Pistons are not as good as Utah was last season, so they're not going to, <laughs> uh, you know, take any chances if they don't have to. But, um, you know, I got to work Tony in here, and Tony was very confident, and I think that kind of says a lot about Boyan. It's just me and, and Nickel Cernus. He seems like he's a pretty durable guy and probably won't miss a lot of time. Uh, so it's just tough. I mean, I think the Pistons' medical staff leans conservative, so it's always difficult to say exactly when the player comes back. But it doesn't sound like it's like a really serious injury. It sounds like, it's probably reasonable to expect him to come back, you know, sooner rather than later. The fact that he's questionable is a good sign, right? I had somebody reach out to me about this, like, what does questionable mean? What does probable, I don't know if it's probable, if that's what the NBA uses, but questionable at least means like there's a chance and he's probably working out and testing it. We saw Sadiq Bey return to the lineup on Sunday, which was great. What about Isaiah Stewart? Just for our listeners who maybe don't have Twitter, don't get the updates. The last I saw was he had reported to the Motor City Cruise, right? So that means he's probably on track to return to the Pistons sooner rather than later. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, usually cruise is like uh, the Pistons like to use the cruise to get guys back after they miss, you know, a certain span of time and uh, just a lower stakes environment to kind of get some five on five action in. And they assigned them to the cruise over the weekend uh, just for like a day just to get a practice session there, uh, which is a good sign always. And uh, then we kind of saw him after practice uh, today getting some work in. So I would say he's inching back. Uh, toward getting back. Um, those designations probably questionable. Honestly, kind of vary from team to team. Um, you know, I would say for the Pistons, questionable usually means we'll let them go through warm-ups. And, you know, if they're good to go through warm-ups, they'll play. If not, you know, the medical staff doesn't feel good about it, they'll sit. So, uh, you know, for Isaiah Stewart, to me, that sounds more like a game-time decision. And it just depends on how he feels before the game. But again, like Boyan itching closer to being here sooner rather than later. I wouldn't be shocked if Isaiah's back by the end of this week. So Stu was back with the team now. He's no longer with the Cruz as we record this. No, he's with the team. Yeah, okay. he's with the team. What about Jaden Ivey? You know, that one kind of came out of nowhere. I don't know that there was a pinpoint of like a certain play, kind of like some of these other guys. In my opinion, I don't know that this isn't a bad rest for him in general. You're 20 plus games into his rookie season. He's taken a large workload with the injury to Cade. I don't know that giving him three or four games off knee injury or otherwise wasn't a bad idea. He struggled a little bit in those last couple of games before this. Any insight on I assume it's not very serious because he's been questionable, but any insight on Jaden Ivey's injury? Yeah, just sort of. They're not, they don't seem concerned about it. Uh, you know, I think it's the same boat as the other guys. If he feels fine enough to play before the game, he'll play. You know, if it's still too sore and they don't want to make it worse, then they'll have him sit. Uh, but yeah, again, like if he wakes up tomorrow and the defense feels fine, I think he'll play. I don't think there's anything 
as of now, it doesn't sound like there's anything serious there. And you know, I have to ask you, Kate Cunningham, have, have you heard anything, anything you can let the listeners know? The last time we've recorded, it was still either surgery or rest. We haven't had a report come out. Anything you can give the listeners or just still kind of TBD? Yeah, still TBD is in the same holding pattern. Uh, you know, I think if, uh, I, I, I think sort of the preface for him probably is for him to just undergo surgery because uh, this is a, you know, the the soreness of his shin uh, has been an issue for for several years, uh, you know, so even in college, I think it's something he dealt with. And, you know, I think from the team standpoint, it's like we're not making the playoffs this year. Um, you go ahead and get the surgery and the, the situation's done. Like you rehab, you come back. We don't have to think about it ever again. It would no longer be a recurring thing. Uh, you know, for Cade, obviously, there, you know, there's probably, you know, he doesn't have a significant surgery history. So, you know, I'm sure for him, it's just... Uh, you know, I want to have the surgery and then I'm out, you know, four to six months or whatever the timeline is. And then I'm almost certainly out for the season. Uh, you know, it's a big de- decision. So I can't say exactly when he's going to make it, but still the same holding pattern. And, you know, I think, you know, regardless, probably the only real chance he, you know, has to like, you know, come back and still have a lot of season to play is if he, he rests and then he just miraculously recovers from it. Uh, but again, it's been a recurring issue. So. You know, I don't know exactly how much rest it would require for him to get over an issue that's been plaguing him for a few years. Like, I think, you know, probably the most easy path, even if it's not easy, is just remove surgery and just get it out the way. But still the holding pattern, so we'll see. Seems like that's where a lot of the roads are leading. But after we take this short break, we're going to talk about some of the players that have been on the court, starting with Killian Hayes. All right, hey, Carlos, just a quick idea. How about if I say, hey, this is Sean Windsor, and you say, hey, this is Carlos Mars, and I'll go, and then we'll go back. You want to you try that? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, you ready? Yep. Hey, this is Sean Windsor. And this is Carlos Menares. And we are the team behind Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean, where we are going to talk about, you guessed it, sports, but lots of other stuff. Like what, Carlos? Oh, we're going to talk about your favorite subject, Sean, food. Um, probably more food. Arts, culture, sports, TV, movies, you name it. If it's happened in Detroit, we're going to talk about it. And sometimes we're going to have guests in who obviously know a lot more than we do about just about everything. But we're going to have some free press journalists who talk about big stories, folks from the sports world. We're going to be out every Thursday. You can find this podcast wherever you find your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We hope you'll join us. All right, we're back. And I'm just going to go ahead and call this one the Killian Hayes segment because he's given <laughs> us a lot to talk about. You know, it's funny because we kind of talk, we talk about Killian a lot, obviously. And it's just sort of the thing we have both been in agreement with is like if he could just knock down those shots, right? Just find something you're good at, one thing you're good at, and do it consistently every night. You know, you don't have to be James Harden. You don't have to be, you know, whatever other players he was compared to, Manu, whoever. You don't have to be any of that. You just have to have something that makes the defense second guess you know, what decision they're going to make when you're on the floor. And for him, really, it's, 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 it's been two things that have really emerged for him that have been good. One is the three ball, uh, which on catch and shoots, he shot extremely well, which is exactly what you want. Don't need him pulling up necessarily. Like, I mean, if he has a triple pull up, that's good. But really, the catch and shoot is the most important thing for him. He's been knocking those down. But that short mid-range jumper, too, has also yeah, been, it's really been nice. Good. And he's always liked the short mid-range jumper. But this year, I think he's taking them from a little bit further out. Like, he's not just avoiding contact at the rim. He's pulling up before he even meets the big. 
And he's been knocking those down consistently too. And it's completely transformed, you know, the way the teams play him on offense. It's, you know, his confidence is a lot higher. It's been like a complete 180 compared to the first two weeks of the season. And he's, he very much looks like an NBA point guard right now. He looks like somebody who could play 24 minutes a night and I have no qualms about it because he already passes the defense well. Kuka Hill that does Locked On Pistons text me today said, Killing is 40% on catch and shoot threes if you take out the first 10 games of the season. That's huge for him. If Killian makes anywhere near 40% from three, that is huge development. And then the mid range on top, I think I tweeted out the other day, he was 43% in his last like eight or nine games, something like that. And while that's not like spectacular, Amari, he was 33% leading up to this point in his career. So it's a 10, 11, 12 game sample size we've got now. And it hasn't just been a one or two game flash in the pan. And there's been some ups, there's been some downs, but I think it's finally starting to be enough where we can be like, man, maybe he really turned a corner here. And we talked about it. We actually had some people call us out on the Freep website in the comments like, no, what got his confidence back was being able to have the ball. And I don't, I don't know what it is. I don't even care what it is, Omari. I don't care what turned the corner for him. The fact is it turned and I just hope it stays because you can tell a difference just in his body language and his demeanor and the way he's playing right now. Yeah, I agree. So over his last 11 games, uh, he's taking 3.6 threes a game and knocking them down at a 37.5% clip, which is like, Fantastic, right? Like if he's a thirty, even a thirty-six percent shooter, um, I think that really gives him a lot, a lot of utility on offense because he has to be defended. And again, like I agree, like I don't know exactly what changed for him. I don't really think it's a difference of having the ball, not having the ball. Like we've seen him start, we've seen him come off the bench, we've seen him be the lead, you know, ball handler. We've seen him play off of Cade and Jaden, and up until eleven games ago, none of that really mattered, uh, you know. And now it just kind of clicked for him, uh, you know. So it could just be just getting the reps and opportunity, right? Uh, you know, like they, they they never benched him. They never did anything to really toy with his confidence. They just said, you know, we invested in you. We believe in you and we're going to let it play out. And, um, you know, we're going to give you chances to figure it out. And now he's figuring it out. You know, it's just one of those things where maybe nothing happened per se. He just started playing better. And a lot of that just kind of, you know, like we would just have to ask Killian, like exactly if anything specifically happened or if he just had a good game, finally had a good game and that was just enough to get him over the hump. You know, like we see it, like even with, we saw with Clay Thompson, like he was struggling to come, you know, he was injured and, you know, that, that affects your confidence, your rhythm, a lot of things. And then he has that one game where he goes off and then mentally you get over the hump. Sometimes it just takes that one good game for you to uh, shake off whatever anxiety or whatever it was you're feeling. And then you can say, okay, I belong. I know what I'm doing. These are the things I can lean on. And for him, it's been the, the three ball, but also that uh, sort of mid-range pull-up that he's been going to a lot. And I think just having two things in his bag that he can rely on every single night has transformed his confidence, transformed the way he's attacking the game. We're seeing him take clutch shots in the fourth quarter. He has like a clutch three and got a, a clutch bucket late against Cleveland um, last night. And then even against Phoenix, he has some big shots. Like it's just been a very notable change for him. And uh, yeah, I agree. I don't know if I would say anything particular happened. I think it's just one of those things where you give somebody enough time and eventually they figure it out. Yeah, and sometimes it's about more than one game. Like, everybody has one good game, Omari. I feel like Killian finally strung together two, and then it was three, and then it looked like he was going to have a bad game, but he kept his confidence, banged a couple shots, made some defensive plays, and then it was four, then it was five. And here's the other thing. He's even got banged up a couple times during this stretch. There was one game I think he set out the whole second half, right, with like a knee or something like that that happened right before halftime. So, you know, it hasn't been major injuries like what he saw early in his career, but it's not like, 
it's been like nothing whatsoever. So he's been able to to work through all of that. And, and I'll just say this because yes, we have to continue to look for ways for him to improve. I think we're always going to talk about players in that way. But if Killian Hayes is even just a two level score, like you're talking about the catch and shoot three and the mid range pull up, that opens up his ability to pass and create for guys as well. He can leverage that into now demonstrate his passing, even if he never becomes really good finishing at the rim. So this has been a huge development for him. And I think even the Pistons organization as a whole. You know, and these are things that he can sustain as well. Like there's still, there are still improvements that he can make. Like he's still not great at finishing at the rim. Uh, you know, there's still, you know, ways that the defense will play him to try to make him un- uncomfortable. And there's still leaps he can get to, but if he's the player he is right now for the rest of his career, he's a rotation guard. You know, and I think that's all it really boils down to. Because there are point guards who are good starting point guards that are not really good inside the arc. Alonzo Ball, you know, like I think his overall field goal percentage is always hovered around 40%. The uh, same with Fred Van Fleet. Like he can take a lot of threes and hit a lot, a lot of threes, but he's never really been that effective at the rim. And Killian, you know, during the stretch where he's shooting 38% from three, he's also shooting about 41% overall. But that's okay because what he's giving you as a passer, like some of the passes he's been throwing to get guys open, uh, not a lot of guys can kind of pass guys open like a quarterback, but Killian's one of the guys that can do that. And also just being a really good, you know, like on-ball defender too. Like those things will give him a lot of minutes. Those things are valuable in the playoffs from coming and, you know, space the floor and be able to take the, the tougher assignment, you know, take some pressure off of Cade or Jaden or whoever. He gives you a lot of u- utility now. And, I think for him, just kind of stay in this holding pattern, right? Keep focusing on knocking down threes, you know, lean on that mid-range put-up when you need to. And just have a full season of doing that. And I think that will – I think if he could do that, if you're a front office, you should really have a few qualms about extending him long-term and keeping him with the group because those are very useful things to have on the floor. Yeah, I mean, if he can knock down these catch-and-shoot three-pointers, then he can leverage those into a shot fake and drive. If nobody steps up, he knocks down a mid-range. If they do step up, now he's attacked the defense, forced help, and now he's going to pass and use that great ability to read the defense to get teammates open shots. He has everything he needs to be a functional, solid, role-playing point guard. I'm glad you said that, though, because I do want us to pump the brakes and just make sure we don't go overboard here. He hasn't shown to be a starting NBA point guard even in this stretch Omar even in this 12 game stretch we're talking about he's still quote-unquote only averaging 10.8 points a game shooting 41 percent as you said from the field only gets to the free throw line 1.2 times a game so it's not like he's just put up insane numbers where you're like man how are you going to make Killian Cade and Jade Nivey all work together I think what he's shown is just being a really really good backup third guard that can come in and, and be useful and you can count on I do also want to make the point in these games compared to his career he's actually averaging more assists and less turnovers so even with the usage he hasn't like struggled with turnovers or anything like that so it's been a great 12 game stretch it has been, and I think it's important to say, too, that even if he's not a starting point guard, like, that's fine. You still yeah, need good yes. rotation guards who can defend, move the ball, knock down threes. And he may just be in sort of, like, that zone of, like, maybe not quite good enough to be a routine starter every night, but if somebody gets hurt and he's your starter, you're comfortable with it. And also an above-average backup, you know, because most backup point guards are not defending, um, moving the ball the way he can, and knocking down threes. Usually you kind of have to pick some of those. Uh, but if he's just like a Derek White tier point guard, I think that's fine. Like, I know, you know, some people will say the seventh pick, he should be better. And that draft, like, like I've said this before, but I mean, just you, you look at that lottery and 
everybody was, was kind of throwing darts, right? Like there are guys in front of Killian who have not been as good as Killian, you know, which, you know, sounds crazy to say, but yeah, I mean, Killian, again, he's showing everything you need basically from him to be a viable NBA point guard. And I think the important thing as well, too, is that if he could truly knock down threes, then that's a strength that has not been a strength for Cade or Jaden. And also, you know, defensively taking on the harder assignment also makes him a great fit next to Cade and Jaden as well. So I think specifically for the Pistons, if you're going to commit to three guards long term, you would like those guards to do different things. And Killian is filling gaps that you're not getting from the other two, which I think helps him uh, stay on the floor. Yeah, I mean, the name that always comes back, and I'm not saying these guys play alike at all, Amari, but Tyus Jones with the team that you used to cover, the Memphis Grizzlies, like if he can fill that role, like Tyus probably could have left this offseason and went and been a starting point guard somewhere in the NBA. But he went back to Memphis. When Jaw doesn't play, I assume the Grizzlies feel pretty good. They won a ton of games last year without Jaw, and it's because Tyus Jones can start games when necessary. He can play alongside Jaw, just like you're talking about, Killian, this version. Version, and we need to be specific about that. This version that we've got of 12 games of Killian can play next to Cade or Jay Nivey. That, that's incredible. That's a perfect fit for what this team needs. So I'm trying not to get too excited because it is still just 12 games. But if we see this for the entire season, man, that, that pick actually looks really good to me. And you got to feel really good about this backcourt in general. Yeah, no, you absolutely do. And you can even, you know, throw another former Grizzlies guard in there, De'Anthony Melton, uh, you know, who is like, if you need to start him, you can start him and feel good about it. But, you know, his utility is being able to come in and, you know, defend and, you know, he's improved as a three-point shooter and he's just giving you a lot of energy. Yeah, I, like I would say I, 11 games for me is kind of teetering on. This looks like a legit change for Killian. And he could always go cold. I think all players are going to go cold at some point. But as long as he can kind of bounce back and shake those off and come back and continue to have good games, uh, the player he is now is a player that you can feel good about having long term. I think it's all about the confidence. You, you've seen, like, there was a play on Sunday night. Mobley was trying to post him up, and Hayes was being physical with him, and they called him for a foul, and he kind of gave Mobley a little extra shove. And I just, you can just tell he's feeling himself right now. You can see him talking trash on the court. I just love it. But let's talk about another guy that's been playing well because he deserves some love, especially for the game you and I watched together. And that's Kevin Knox, man. That guy has been balling. And I just can't quit Kevin Knox, Omari. The, the jumper looks too pretty for me to give up on Kevin Knox. It's finally going down. You gave the stat earlier in the episode. Uh, what do you think about the play from Kevin Knox? I believe it's been like the last five games. Yeah, he's just doing the stuff he was drafted to do, which is hit threes and defend. And uh, I think it was after the uh, Denver game, you know, because uh, him and Alec Burks were teammates in, in New York last season. And I asked Alec about him, and Alec said he's always been his player. He just needed the opportunity. And sometimes that's all it is. You just need a situation where, yeah, you do have to prove it, but the team says you're here, um, you know, just come in and, you know, play. Like, we need you to do these two things, right, which is defend and shoot threes. You don't have those top ten pick expectations anymore. And you're on a team full of young guys, and the franchise as a whole does not have they, – like, they can give you a little bit of a longer leash and allow you to play through mistakes to kind of find your confidence – and we've seen the Pistons kind of have the strategy with uh, a few former top 10 picks, right? Like we saw Dennis Smith Jr., we saw Jaleel Kafour, uh, Josh Jackson. We've seen a few different guys. Sometimes it hits, sometimes it doesn't. But I think what's helped Kevin Knox is that he can knock down threes. So as soon as you get into a game and you finally find some rhythm, that rhythm could carry, you know, throughout different games. Now, I don't know what went wrong in New York where he played most of his rookie season and then kind of fell out of favor. But I do know that New York's been trying to win games for a while now. You know, they're the New York Dicks. Like, they 
want to get better at all costs. Maybe they just didn't have the patience for a guy like Kevin Knox to figure it out. Uh, but the Pistons, they have patience. And, you know, Sadiq goes down, Kevin comes in, and he's not going to shoot 55% for three for the whole year. But if he settles out around 37 38%, uh, you know, kind of like Killian, right? Like you have a rotation for it, you know, a guy who, you know, is a really good bench piece. And if he can start a few games, so be it. But, you know, the way he's playing now, it's hard for me to see how he falls out of the rotation when they do get healthy. And, you know, Dwayne likes his nine-man ro- rotation, maybe 10, maybe he's going to have to <laughs> make some tough judgment calls once everybody does come back. It's it's going to be really interesting. It really is, Omari, because there's a lot of guys that are playing well and you got to find minutes for him. But yeah, I mean, he's hit some big shots too and some tough ones like stare down the defender, jab step and pull it back and knock it down. And you can just see him playing with a ton of confidence. I, I love it. He's played well and I, I'm really happy for him. And the other thing is it, he's shooting 61% from the field overall, 55% from three, four, four and a half rebounds. He's not turning it over. I think defensively he's okay probably below average he's not gonna like lock somebody down like I thought Isaiah Livers was really good on Sunday night and some minutes on Donovan Mitchell even though he got in foul trouble he's not like that but I don't think he just kills you on the defensive end based on some of the breakdowns I've done so even if he's a neutral everywhere else grabs a few rebounds doesn't turn it over good team defender and then he shoots 40 percent from three like that's a that's a really good role player that's a guy that can help you win games it is. And again, yeah, like he's not like a lockdown defender per se, but I think just for the Pistons to have another big body that they could throw out there and just offer some re- resistance. And Bagley's kind of in the same category, right? Like, you know, sometimes to be a, to creep toward being an average defensive team, you just need, you know, guys who could be average defenders, right? <laughs> like, you, you know, you don't need a team full of Ben Wallace. You just need, you know, a team full of guys who can at least make the defense second guess a little bit, you know, with some send out defenders. So I'll put Kevin Knox in that category. And yeah, I mean, you know, still a lot of season left, but that signing certainly has been an early success for this front office so far. So you mentioned Marvin Bagley III. This is the last player we'll discuss before going to another break. Another former top 10 pick, reclamation project of Troy Weaver, which is absolutely what he should be doing while this team is in its restoration phase. He's played really well, Amari, the last four games. He's had back-to-back double-doubles. He's averaging 16, over 16 points in the last four, 67% from the field, 4.8 defensive rebounds, so almost five defensive rebounds, I believe with almost three offensive rebounds and even defensively. And I know stats aren't everything defensively and they're not offensively either, but defensively one and a half steals and one block per game in these past four games. Just to me, that just means he's active. He's getting in the right spot. I feel like he has protected the rim a little bit better than what I remembered coming into the season. He's really found his groove over the last four or five games. He has. And the Pistons really did miss him early on. Uh, Just everything, the activity he gives you, at the rim, the rebounding he gives you. Uh, nobody else on the roster could really replicate that right now. Uh, Duran gives you the rebounding, but he does not give you the touch and just the general activity being able to create buckets around the rim that Bagley gives you. And I will say this, I don't know if you agree, uh, you know, as far as the two big lineups, we kind of talk a lot about Isaiah and Duran sort of being like the long-term centerpieces, which they are. But I think Isaiah Bagley could be... A lot of fun to watch if Isaiah continues to knock down threes because defensively he gives you sort of the the versatility, switchability, you know, maybe more of a rim protector than Bagley is. But Bagley gives you that interior presence that you don't get from Isaiah. And I think that that front court could really 
offensively be really, really good, honestly, because you have one guy who can space the floor and then one guy who can just absolutely eat inside and one of those guys can really defend. So I'm curious to see what that looks like when they when Isaiah gets back. I would love to see it. I, I'm I'm here for a hundred percent. And Marvin Bagley the third has some nice ball skills. Like he can catch on the perimeter and he can attack a closeout. We've seen him make a few threes. I know Dwayne said that he didn't want him taking a whole bunch, not like in the Isaiah Stewart realm. But I, I do I want to see an Isaiah Stewart Marvin Bagley the third starting lineup. I think Jalen Duran has hit a little bit of a wall to be quite honest, Omari, and, and not in terms of like he can't continue to grow, but kind of like what I said with Jaden Ivey, we're 20 plus games into his rookie season. He's played quite a few minutes and over his last four games, he's only averaging a little over three points, 36% from the field and 1.3 stocks. So steals and blocks combined. So not even as active as Marvin Bagley III on the defensive end. He's an incredible offensive rebounder, but I saw today somebody put out some stats. Like, Duran isn't this incredible defensive rebounder that I think sometimes we make him out to be. So I would go with the Stu Marvin Bagley III starting lineup and then bring Duran off the bench. Yeah, he has to the wall. Uh, the last time he grabbed double-digit rebounds was uh, November 12th. Uh, which was, I believe, eight games ago and nine games ago. And he actually only played 17 minutes in that game. Uh, he's cracked 20 minutes in almost every game since. I was going to say, he's playing roughly the same minutes, so it's not like the minutes have changed. No, the minutes haven't changed. If anything, his role has increased a little bit with Isaiah Stewart out. And like you said, you know, the, he's not rebounding as effectively as he used to. The black and steel numbers are down a little bit. And I think we're being reminded that he is still a teenager. He is still the youngest player in the NBA. He's playing more basketball than he's ever played. He's traveling more probably than he's ever traveled. And I think it's natural to the wall. No, I mentioned this on last week's pod, but, you know, I was talking to, you know, Rashard Lewis, this right in on Rashard a few weeks ago. And uh, we talked about Duran a lot. He's working with Duran a lot. And, you know, Rashard was a, a, uh, a straight from high school to the NBA prospect. So he knows what it's like to be a teenager in the NBA, uh, going through a lot of stuff he'd never gone through before. And how it could kind of just wear you down. Like he kind of joked and he said, by January, like it's going to be getting into the hot, into the, the cold tub after games because his body's going to be wearing down. Um, I'm not saying his body's wearing down now, but it could just be a point where uh, he's kind of stagnated a little bit. You know, he's exhausted. And, you know, I think that's kind of why I think the Pistons brought Bagley back because they did not want to be entirely reliant, you know, on a guy like during this early in, into the year. You know, I think. It's normal. You know, he's going through all this stuff for the first time. You're going to hit Waz over the course of your rookie season. But, uh, yeah, there's been a bit of a stagnation in the last couple of weeks. And curious to see if he stops it before Isaiah comes back. But if not, you know, I think they have some monsters in the front court where you can kind of bump Knox up to the four. You can bump, you know, Isaiah up to the four. I'm sorry, you can bump Sadiq up to the four. And you have options there if you want to give during a little bit of a break. Hey, like you said, it, it's a great point to make. Nobody's saying there's anything wrong with this. No, neither of us are saying there's anything wrong with Duran. Like it's to be expected. I just wonder if he's kind of hit that point and maybe if we see him possibly pop up on the injury report, get a few days off and, you know, we need to stay on Richard Lewis. You introduced him to me out there in Denver as your podcast host. He goes, podcast, man, what am I going to get on? And I was quick to say, man, Richard, you can come on anytime you want. And I think you made a joke about five bucks, man. I was trying to get my wallet yeah i'll give him a 20 if it gets him on the podcast but no you, you were awesome always introduced me to everybody and everybody with the organization that that i get a chance to run to always super cool talking uh but hey when we come back from this short break wes is going to join us again this week and he's going to spin the wheel of some stats and that amari and i will break down for you guys i'm Alyssa robinson for the detroit free press when you wake up every morning what's the first thing you do 
check your email, me too. And when you sign up for our daily briefing newsletter, you'll get all the latest news sent directly to your inbox so you can wake up and be ready for the day. We also have newsletters about COVID-19 in Michigan, the latest entertainment headlines, as well as Woodward 248, a newsletter specifically for people living and working in Southeast Oakland County. And don't forget about automotive headlines and all the latest news from our Michigan sports teams. We have a newsletter for every personality and preference. Just head to freep.com forward slash newsletters to sign up for any one of these great options and more. All right, we're back with segment three and we're bringing our guy Wes on for the second straight week. It's the holiday season. So you know, we're gifting you all Wes once again for a little game show here. So uh, the game this week, I've just got a bunch of stats. I've got a, a random number wheel. I'm going to spin it and I'll read you guys off the stat that I guess the number tells me to read. So what you guys are going to do, just kind of break down why the stat's happening what it means for the team, uh, if there's any deeper context uh, that, that you guys can dive into, do so. And if Pistons fans should expect it to continue as the season progresses. So I'm going to go and do the first wheel spin here. Okay, so the stat is the Pistons are 16th in the NBA in pace. I actually am always surprised by the pace number, Omari, because I feel like I'm always begging the Pistons to play faster. So my initial reaction to this is, wow, I'm surprised they're 16th because I don't feel like they get out in transition. I wonder if this will actually slow down. Well, it depends on how much Jaden Ivey plays, but with Boyan, with Alec Burks, you're probably going to play slower the more minutes those guys get. Yeah, I, I think that sounds about right. Like, I don't think they've been, like, this incredibly fast team. I also don't think they've been as plotting as some of the teams have been in the past. I think Ivy obviously kind of speeds some things up. He's probably good once a game to kind of create a, a fast break. He creates a few fast break opportunities all by himself just because he beats the entire defense. Um, you know, with that said, yeah, Cade obviously is not the fastest guy. Uh, and he's missed the last 10 or 11 games. So that's only really impacted half of the season as far as that. Killian's not the fastest guy, but, you know, certainly, and I think, get enough in transition to kind of find guys and whatnot. That, like, that sounds right. I think if I had to guess where they were in pace, uh, like, without knowing, I would say they're probably just somewhere in the middle. And, you know, they're almost exactly in the middle. So, mm-hmm. like, that just sounds right. Like, you know, they're a team that's not necessarily, you know, incredible. Uh, they're not incredible in transition, but they get get the job done. You know, they're off, their half-court offense isn't, like, the most quick, but... Uh, over the last week or so, we've seen them be able to, you know, make more buckets. I don't really have anything interesting to say. I just think that sounds about right, honestly. <laughs> what I would be interested in, Omari, is what is their pace whenever Jaden Ivey's not on the floor? Because I think their pace when Jaden Ivey's not on the floor could be much slower. And so here, here's the question. Do you think it's going to get faster throughout the season? Do you think they'll end up staying there? What, what's your impression for the rest of the year for the Pistons? I think they are where they are. You know, I think they, um, you know, like maybe if, I think Ivy is just sort of one ingredient in, like, you know, like this overall team. And, you know, because of him, uh, like, that does kind of speed things up. But I think in general, uh, they they do play, you know, a lot of half court. And uh, I'll be curious to see how many transition opportunities Jaden is getting per game. I would assume he's probably getting maybe – he's probably hovering around two. Uh, you know, maybe that's a tad high. Maybe it's closer to, like, one and a half. You know, but he's part of it. I would assume that they're probably picked up the pace a little bit because of him. But overall, I think some of that, too, is just – uh, you know, this team having guys who can just kind of engineer shots like they're not a fast team, but, you know, they're a team where 
you know, I think we see Boyan take shots early in the clock a good bit. You know, we've seen Ivy take shots early in the clock, you know, for better or for worse, right? Uh, you know, like we see guys who just, when they see an opportunity, they just go ahead and take it. And uh, maybe this offense been a bit, has been a bit more aggressive than I think it was last season when a lot of possessions were just, okay, please do anything, please, anything. Uh, so, yeah, 16 just sounds right to me. All right, Wes, what do we got for number two? All right, spinning the wheel. The stat is the Pistons are losing games by an average of 7.6 points. Yeah, well, you know, if this were, uh, you know, three weeks ago, it would have been like 17.6 <laughs> points. So, uh, yeah, I think they improve. I think that's still not good, but this team was getting smacked every night, and now they're not. So if we were to play this game around Christmas, I would think that that would probably be even tighter if they continue this pace and it may even be like around three points, you know, if they continue to pace their on. But to me, that just, that just shows they started off horribly uh, you know, this past week, they've played teams almost down to... They've been in every single game. Like, they have not been played off the floor. Even against the Lakers and Clippers, they didn't really get played off the floor. They just didn't have the bodies really to stay in those games. But, uh, yeah, to me, that just speaks to the improved play. Like, still not a great number, but much better than it was uh, after, like, the 10 or 11 game mark. Yeah, I agree. And I think it is going to continue to get better. I think, you know, maybe until the end of the season, who knows how the Pistons handle the, the last 15, 20 games of the year, depending on the standings and all that stuff. And we'll, we'll have plenty of time to talk about that later in the year. I, I do wonder this, Amari, because we saw this team get off to an awful start last season as well. Some of that had to do, you know, Cade was injured. I think Jeremy Grant got injured at a certain point, but they were like historically bad offensive team, especially from the three point line. Do you have any kind of impression or ideas of why in back-to-back seasons they've started off so slow? And what's really weird is they've come in with really high expectations, at least from the fan base. And then as fans, we've had to readjust. But it's back-to-back years now where it's been really bad for like 15 games. And then they got into a groove and were that competitive team that, that a lot of us thought they were going to be to start the year. Yeah, they've actually picked up a lot quicker this year than they yes, did last yeah. year. Last year it wasn't really really wasn't until about New Year's. I think they started the season like five and twenty eight overall. It was something like that. But they were just playing really tremendously bad basketball and then you kinda had the COVID stress mixed in there and uh got kinda bleak for a while. Like just some of the worst basketball I've watched for sure. Uh this year they figured it out a lot quicker. Uh, but why they keep, keep starting off cold? Like, I don't know. Like I know a lot of people like to blame John Beeline. I don't think it has anything to do with him. You know, I don't think he's I don't see how one coach would be single-handedly responsible for an entire team shooting code. That doesn't really... Shout out John Beeline for fixing Killian Hayden's shot, right? And yeah. Kevin Knox now. Yeah. You know, I think part of it could be, uh, like, for one, like, I think this time last year, this team had a lot of guys who weren't necessarily proven shooters, but you were just kind of hoping they would become that. Like, Cade shot 40% in college, but, you know, but he was at, like, Montverde and, like, before college, he wasn't necessarily seen as, like, a knockdown shooter. Like, he could hit shots, but that wasn't, like one of the strengths of his game, I would say. And, uh, you know, he started off cold last year. Like, he missed, like, 20 of his first 21 threes or something like that, you know, which, of course, is going to bring the entire team percentage down. Uh, Sadiq, you know, since he's kind of been given um, the space to kind of create his own shot and be more of a a do-it-all forward rather than just a a, a 3-and-D forward, he has uh, seen his three-point efficiency decline. Uh, You know, for him, it's probably an entire change how he approaches the game, so... Uh, when all you have to do is shoot threes, it's probably a lot easier than now you kind of have to second guess. Well, should I take a three? Should I go to the line? Should I give the ball up? And that's been a filling out process for him. Uh, you know, at, at the same time, I think part of the reason why the team's kind of snapped that is because you have Boyan and you have Alec Burks. Like, Boyan was like the hottest shooter in the NBA for like the first week. And Burks has been one of the hottest players in the NBA since he made his debut 
uh, like you know two weeks ago. So you kind of have those veteran guys who can just come in and get a bucket. And to me, that's a big difference from last year. And I don't think it's coincidental that they've been way better since Burks came back. Well, there's a lot of roster turnover from last year compared to this year, right? I mean, you added quite a few guys, including Jaden Ivey, Jalen Duran, rookies. So a lot of guys to get in the mix with the injuries. So that, that would make sense that, you know, maybe Coach Casey had a process and that process wasn't yielding results right away, but maybe it'll be a little more fruitful down the road. All right, we're going to go on to the next one. I am spinning the wheel now. Okay, the stat is... Jalen Duran is the only player shooting over 50% from inside three feet. Uh, Hami is second. He's shooting 33. Duran's at 53 and a half. That's that's, that's a funny stat to me that like Isaiah Stewart isn't shooting over 50% inside three feet. I don't think Ivy. Yeah, Ivy. But we talked about last episode how often he gets his shot blocked. Yeah, he gets blocked a lot. And also he, he misses a lot of bunnies. Yeah, he misses some buddies too. Like it seems like once every two games, he'll have like a breakaway layup in transition, and he just doesn't complete the layup. Yeah, Kay's not super efficient at the rim. Sadiq's not super efficient at the rim. I don't think Bagley would be in there. Yeah, that, like, it kind of surprises me that he's not. You know, maybe I honestly don't know why he's not. Like I, I'm sitting here trying to come up with a theory, but you know, it seems like he gets a lot of sometimes guys who get like a lot of offensive rebounds and they're trying to lay the ball back in. It kind of brings your percentage down and he does get a lot of offensive boards. So some of those misses may just be like missed taps. Um, so that could be part of it for him. We're just kind of playing volleyball. NBA duck. NBA has some weird like stat stuff. If you watch how they like track an offensive rebound or miss shot, or even at some assists and turnover some stuff of them are arguably not rebounds, not like, even close. Yeah. You know, like I would not like that was one of the things with like Andre Drummond too. Like his rebound numbers a lot of times were because he was just kind of playing volleyball with the rim, and it's like he's still a good rebounder, but like he would have like five offensive rebounds in one possession, and it's like, well, he never really got two hands with the ball and came down with it. He just kind of just tapped it. Like that's not a traditional rebound, so that could be messing up Marvin's numbers a little bit. Although, you know, it's kind of tough to say. Uh, yeah, like I'm just surprised. Like I would think Duran and, and Bagley at least would be in there. It doesn't shock me that the rest of the roster's not doing it, but I'm surprised Bagley's not in there. Yeah, Bagley would be the other one. He makes the most sense. I don't think any of those guards are efficient enough right now. Like we talked about earlier, Killing Hayes isn't great getting there, let alone finishing. Jay Ivey still got to figure out how fast he is and then having a little more touch. So I I would say my expectation is by the end of the year, Marvin Bagley III has at least joined Jalen Duran in that category. Okay, on to the next one, spinning the wheel. The stat is the Pistons are 10th in the NBA in offensive rebounds per game. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, because Jalen Duran's been a monster offensive rebounder, and now you have Bagley back, and he's always been pretty good as well. Um, you know, and Isaiah's a good rebounder, too. I think he's probably stronger defensively than offensively, but, you know, he still does a pretty good job. So, like, Ivy's been a pretty good rebounder. Like, I don't know how many he's grabbing on offense, but I think they have a, a lot of plus rebounders on this team. K rebounds well for his size, so... Yeah, that one checks out. That one checks out for me. I think when you start playing the too big lineup, Amari, and I think you've tweeted about this and we've talked about it a little bit, you have the potential to be a good rebounding team. I think I, if I had to pick, uh, let me ask you this. If you had to pick between this team becoming a top five rebounding team or a top five defensive team sooner, which would it be? Which would you have more confidence in? It would be rebounding. Yeah. Yeah, it would be rebounding for sure. Yeah, I think it's by a wide margin because I think there's a lot of when you get the guys in the right positions, when Stu's playing the four and it's either Bagley or Duran at the five and you get Bay at the three instead of the four and then Cade and Ivy. Cade obviously has plus size as a point guard and Ivy with plus elite athleticism. 
you have the makings for a really good rebounding team there. Now Boyan's coming off the bench in that lineup. Uh, maybe that doesn't actually happen. I know that they've actually put Bay off the bench, but Isaiah Livers is a solid rebounder. You still would have one of Duran or Bagley. So I think this team has the makings of being a good rebounding team actually on both ends of the floor because Jaden Ivey could be an incredible offensive rebounder with his athleticism. And he his rebounding numbers have been very healthy. I think he's had at least one double-double uh, with points and rebounds already. But yeah, that's one thing that's ability translated for him. Hami, too, is a good is a great re- re- rebounder for a size. You know, like he, uh, this, this team, like out like almost half of the roster is like plus rebounders for their position like so if there's one thing this team could do each and every night i think is, is like rebound pretty well it's not like you'd say killian hayes is a negative rebounder or something like that so there, there's i don't think you can find a negative on the team if they're playing at the right position Boyon starting at the four is a negative rebounder and i think that's why as a, a whole sometimes the rebounding has been a struggle but we both know that's not what Dwayne casey wants to do no, it's not. Oh, also shout out to your guy Corey Joseph, uh, box out king. <laughs> yes, uh, my guy. But yeah, but you know, but they have, you know, but they're one of those teams where, like, I know a, a lot of teams, you know, will give up offensive rebounds now and just get back in transition. Uh, but you know, the Pistons could kind of play like however way they want because, like, again, Duran has been a fantastic offensive rebounder early, and you know, Marvin gets a lot too. And I don't know if this team is good enough offensively to not crash the offensive board. Like, I think, you know, like it's easier when you have Giannis. I think when you, you know, when when, when you're a team that's probably tracking to win 30 games at, at, at best, you kind of need to not leave points on the board if you can help to not do that. All right, Wes, let's give one more here. And then I, I got a Thanksgiving question for you, Wes. So we got to let the listeners know what you had for Thanksgiving dinner. But one more stat first. Last one, spin of the wheel. Okay, um, kind of an interesting one. The stat is Alec Burks. Bojan and Isaiah Stewart, all three of them, they're shooting over 50% from the corner three, but none of them are taking more than 30% of their attempts there. So they're shooting it really well, but all of it's a pretty low volume. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand this one because you know there's guys in the corners. I don't feel like that's where Isaiah Stewart ends up a lot. But I feel like with Boyan and Burks, I wonder if Boyan and Burks just handle the ball so much they end up at the top of the key. And maybe Isaiah Stewart's playing a little more pick and pop. It seems like that's what I was going to say for yeah. Boyan. Like he has a ball in his hands a lot. We see him take pull ups in transition. You're usually not pulling up from the corner. It's kind of hard to do. Uh, yeah, I'm, like I think some of that, like especially for Burks or for Boyan, I would just say they have the ball in their hands too much to really be set up in that way. Uh, you know, they also put Killian in the corner a good and bit. Hami, you know, to get him easy looks and Hami. Livers. Like you have some guys who can't really create their own, you know, looks as well. So you kind of just have to put them in there. Uh, to me, that's probably more of like a roster construction, uh, you know, just players just uh, who are good at it, just not playing in a way that's kind of conducive to them taking those shots. Um, like maybe when K comes back and, you know, you can kind of have them play off K a little bit more. You can get them in the corners a little bit more. But, uh, yeah, I, like I just think Boyan and like Burks have just handled the ball too much to really take a lot of shots there. I'd be interested to know, like, who takes the majority. Like of all their three-point attempts from the corner, what is like the hierarchy? Like who on the team has taken the most three-point attempts? I might have to dive into those numbers tomorrow if Wes doesn't already have it for us because it would be interesting kind of who's playing in those roles. All right, Wes, before we go, though, me and Omari started off the episode talking about our Thanksgivings. Where did you spend your Thanksgiving? What did you guys have to eat? And are you in or out on mac and cheese and turkey? All right, well, uh, wife and I, we went back home to Chicago, uh, my parents' house. We had um, all, all the classics. We had the turkey. We had the mashed potatoes and gravy, the sweet potatoes. Um, my mom did a corn souffle, which was really good, kind of like a big thing of cornbread. Um 
And she did a homemade cranberry sauce too, which was awesome. In or out on turkey? I love turkey. That's like, that's one of the best parts for me. In or out on mac and cheese? I love mac and cheese, but not on Thanksgiving. I don't have room on the plate. That'd be the last stuff I'm grabbing. Well, we almost have full pots. <laughs> I would say the cornbread souffle. Sounds good. That's, a, that's good. As a cornbread lover, that sounds really yeah, good. Sounds it's really good. good. Yeah, yeah. I'm in. A, next time I come to Detroit, can we work something out here, Mrs. Davenport, and get some some cornbread souffle? She's out in Chicago, so make a pit stop there, maybe. That's a drive. That's it. That's an easy drive. No. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you, Wes. Appreciate your work as always. Omari, my guy, take it away. Yeah, I'm gonna shout out Wes first. Uh, thank you for putting those stats together. That was a fun game, but you know, we'll we'll, we'll definitely bring it back. Um, disappointed on the mac and cheese take, but you had already told me on Twitter that you weren't like a big mac and cheese guy, so I was kind of bracing myself for the reveal to you know the rest of our listeners. So uh, we have to do a Twitter poll on. On mac and cheese at yes. some point. I need, yes. like, I need to hear the people's opinions on this. Yes, uh, big thanks to our executive producer, Angelette Delgado, our sports editor, Kirkland Crawford. A uh, big shout out to our audio producer, Kerry Jeer II. And we will talk to you all next week. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.